You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm excited to be talking with Vishal Mangawadi. He is an author of 21 books that have been translated into 14 different languages, uh, and he has pioneered a vision for an education revolution that will disciple nations. Vishal, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? Maybe share what you're currently most excited about with what God's doing through your ministry. Sure. I studied philosophy in India. And when I realized that my professors knew that the philosophers knew that they did not know the truth and that they could not know the truth, and that whole of the Enlightenment movement in the West had come to the same conclusion as Indian philosophy had reached 2,500 years earlier, that human mind was not an instrument, reason, logic, were not instruments of knowing truth. India had become nihilistic, pessimistic about the possibility of human beings uh, knowing truth, and therefore the whole idea of pursuit of truth had been discarded in favor of either mystical experience through yoga, etc., or through uh, mythology, legends, stories, that we should believe stories and stories will give us um, insight into truth. So that the Western mind had come to the same conclusion. Uh, it began, the Enlightenment began with René Descartes, saying that we can know the truth. He was a French philosopher, but it concluded with Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche in Germany, that no, human mind cannot know. It, we cannot uh, ultimately know even if we exist as a permanent individual selves, as soul. So uh, the West became pessimistic intellectually, uh, but how do we know the truth? It appeared to me that we were like five blind men, as the Buddha said, who were mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is an elephant, and they were fighting with each other. Uh, but uh, they cannot possibly know the truth because they are blind. They can know part of the reality and articulate it. But it uh, occurred to me that what if there is a sixth person who know, who who is not blind, who sees the elephant and can explain what the elephant is, then yes, we can know truth, even if we can't experience, if I'm blind, I will never know what if the tusk of the elephant is white. But if I say to another blind man that, you know, that the tusk is white, he would say, what is white? I'd say, I, that I don't know. But is that truth that the tusk is white? Yes, I can know the truth if there is someone who knows the truth and would reveal it to me. So I began to investigate if there is a God who knows the truth and who has revealed it to us. I began reading the Bible, and it was reading through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles that I began to realize that the Bible was actually the Word of God. Uh, once I had this intellectual, I had already had a uh, 
a personal spiritual conversion of turning from sin to finding Jesus as my savior. But this intellectual conversion became very important. I began reading the Bible and uh, it became clear that to follow Jesus for me would mean serving the poor who are victims of the Hindu philosophy, social system, of corruption, mm-hmm. oppression. So uh, my wife and I began serving the poor in central India in a state called Madhya Pradesh. And we, I was a, uh, we got into a lot of trouble because we realized that poverty is not just an economic issue. It is a socio-religious political issue. So I was thrown in jail a few times. Many attempts to murder me were to, happened. And then our whole community was burned down. But in mm-hmm. the midst of all of this, I had begun to write. I had uh, already turned my a master's thesis, which was a study of gurus who were Hindu gurus who were very popular at that time, into a book which became an instant bestseller in India and began to be taught in different parts of the world. It was published here in uh, Chicago, uh, but also translated into languages such as German. So, uh, it, 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 the largest news magazine in India, a weekly magazine, serialized that book for eight or nine weeks. They would take a chapter, condense it, publish it. So it was in the national press for eight or nine weeks, every week. And as a result, it became a textbook in universities such as Cambridge, where it is still tra- taught in the Department of Religion. So I was a published author, but I was working with the poor who didn't know how to read and write and got into trouble with the established uh, system. And the Lord used that persecution to throw us out. So I have continued traveling around the world uh, and uh, we are still homeless. My wife and I don't own or rent a home anywhere in the world. And um, we have... Uh, I, uh, this whole experience of studying God's word, sped, studying the world and trying to understand poverty and suffering has resulted in these 21 books. Several of them are taught in many universities, including in America. And as we, I began to grapple seriously with the question, why has Christianity lost America? Why did Christianity lo- lose uh, Western Europe? that it is a marginalized religion and uh, what what went wrong with christianity and how do we disciple nations again how do we disciple the united states of america out of that came this understanding uh, that the church needs to take education back from the devil and i published that in an appendix in my book truth and transformation published by YWAM in Seattle. Uh, Indonesians took it to Indonesia. They translated it into Indonesian Bhasa in 2010 and invited me. And they launched the practice of uh, the church using online education uh, to disciple uh, young people. And from that it has grown. We have three uh, legal entities. One, uh, two of them are actually incorporated in America. Um, one is called Trinity Global Education, and the other is called Virtues Campus, based in Minnesota. 
And uh, since I'm, because of COVID-19, I'm stranded in the USA, uh, mm-hmm. the opening up doors, including this podcast, to turn this into a revolution where churches take education back from the devil to disciple the nation. Now, as as you feel this revolution is taking place, do you are you seeing any pushback or um, uh, hesitancy on the church's side to to make this movement? No, actually, tomorrow we have a conference, phone conference with three churches in uh, New Jersey, uh, where are this group in Minnesota called Virtues Campus. They, they we are online. It's led by Reverend Dr. David Glesney, who was a senior pastor in a Lutheran church, Missouri Senate, who resigned his uh, senior pastorship. They have two campuses, church campuses, and he uh, turned one of the church into an experiment in a church-based uh, university education. And one former Anglican um, Lutheran college, which has now become a university, a private university in Iowa. So this ch- churches in Minnesota are partnering with this uh, Iowa uh, University for uh, Waldorf University to give Associate of Art degrees to uh, students uh, in Minnesota. But in New Jersey, uh, we are starting with um, high school homeschool students, students who are still in high school, but who want to take college credits. So they will go to the local church three times a week uh, under the pastor to uh, take college university credits. Uh, They they are allowed to take up to 21 credits, which uh, will put them in ahead of other students when they actually join BA or BSc or Associate of Arts. So uh, we, yes, for 10 years, it has been very hard to persuade American universities and American churches that it is their responsibility to take, uh, to educate nations. Discipling nation means to uh, baptizing, marinating uh, everyone into the truth of the triune God. Uh, keep people submerged. So this is what Martin Luther had understood with the doctrine of priesthood of all believers, that if all believers are to be priests and kings, all believers need to have education, to know God, to know truth, uh, to, to establish their dominion over the earth. So uh, that's how this whole concept of universal education began, the Roman Catholic Church had already invented the institution of the university 400 years before Luther, but a universal education was a Protestant idea, which gradually everybody accepted that, yes, everyone should be educated. But the evangelical movement in America gave it up. And we are suffering as a, as a result of that, that your the Christian press has become fake news courts became a problem in America, banning prayers, uh, removing Ten Commandments, uh, allowing abortions, etc. So uh, you have, um, uh, Christianity has lost America, and the way to take it back is to bring uh, education, which has become uh, the devil's 
WMD, Weapon of Mass Deception. Mm -hmm. So university has become the devil's main weapon of mass deception of the whole nation. The press has become the weapon of mass deception. So America has fought in Iraq against uh, what was imagined to be the weapons of mass destruction. But the devil is actually out to deceive nations. And education is Satan's primary means of mass deception. And that is what we've got to attack and win back. And coronavirus has, what it has done is crumble the walls of uh, brick and mortar of classrooms at school level and university level. The question now is whether the church will open its doors to welcome students, that while parents are at work, students come to church Monday to Friday, and there is an academic pastor who is a homeschooling mom or dad credentialed to be a teaching assistant supervising students to go through college credit courses. The course will come from the university online. Students will study in small cohorts in the church. Uh, an um, academic pastor will supervise. So in Uganda, we have one denomination, a Pentecostal denomination with 30,000 churches uh, that agreed last year in January 2019 to turn every church into a college classroom. Um, and this would be an education revolution because Pentecostals didn't believe in college education uh, for a long time. But here, uh, 200 top leaders of the entire denomination made passed a unanimous resolution that let's do this. And uh, as a result of coronavirus, the government in Uganda has now is now encouraging online education. But do students stay at home uh, in front of a computer or iPad, or they go? Can, should they go into a church where they are also being discipled? So four Christian universities in Uganda have come together that yes, we want to do this. We have had a string of consultations during the last 12 months. The first one was in Phoenix, Arizona. The last one was in South Korea in February, just when COVID-19 uh, came as a big hit in South Korea. I was there. And uh, so uh, the universities have now opened up that, yes, we must all use the internet uh, for education but the church is yet to open up, and uh, uh, there are theological problems within the church which we have to overcome in order to remind the church that they are responsible to disciple nation. Hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean, this this COVID stuff is definitely, you see the Lord work, even though it's a bummer situation, you see the, the Lord working in it in, in really cool ways. I mean, the, the church is responding and and being relatively creative in how they've um, how they've responded to the whole situation, and I think it opens up opportunities um, that are really exciting for the gospel. So I'm excited to see how this all pans out for you guys. Um, how how do you view the inter internet, all things digital space, and and its potential to uh, be a supporting element in the Great Commission as a whole? Like we believe 
at Reliant, the potential that the internet provides for sharing information, for providing the education that you talked about, for bringing inspiration through storytelling. I think the potential within that space is really incredible. Um, How does your view of uh, the internet kind of shape your ministry and your work? Yes, internet is being used for storytelling. I want it to be used for truth-telling. Mm. And, uh, one of the major problems with the American evangelical Christianity is, is that it has replaced the gospel truth with the gospel story. But that's another discussion. The heart of your question is uh, that internet is the current... Y- revolution in communication. Yeah. Three or four major revolutions have shaped world history. The first was writing. The, the non-Christians would say language was the first revolution, but actually we didn't invent language. We were created with the gift of language because we were made in the image of someone who speaks. Yeah. So language was given to Adam and Eve so that Adam could name animals, categorize animals, and then plants, and then fish, and then the planets, and the constellations, and soils, and rocks, and everything else. But writing was a revolution in that uh, speaking helps one generation to learn from its peers, parents, peers, siblings. But writing enables us to learn from somebody who lived 5,000 years ago in 15,000 kilometers away, miles away. So uh, it it was a revolution because it becomes a bank, language becomes a bank in which a, a culture stores its knowledge. So if I have access to your bank account, your language, your your literature, I can plunder your intellectual wealth that you have communicated, which uh, accumulated. So any information that the um, Egyptians had or uh, Greeks had or Romans had, uh, Hindus had, Chinese had, is accessible to me if I know their languages. So writing was, and the Jews used the writing most effectively. That's why the Bible has uh, had a greater impact on the world and then Hindu scriptures, uh, because the Hindus didn't write their sacred scriptures, such as um, the uh, Vedas, but the Jews wrote their history and their scriptures and their reflections and their mm. songs. But the third major revolution was printing. Writing, uh, if I write by hand, one person, two people read it at a time. If I print, a thousand people read the same thing at a time. So printing revolution was used by the Protestant movement. The Orthodox didn't use it. Muslims didn't use it. And printing revolution, because the Protestant movement used it, it it transformed Protestant nations because it made people to think, to question, to understand, to research further. So it became an intellectual revolution and uh, Protestantism became the most powerful uh, force around the world in 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries until the secularists began using the printing. But at the beginning of the 20th century, you had audiovisual revolution uh, symbolized by Hollywood. And unfortunately, 
the Christian movement stayed out of that uh, revolution. Only now we are starting to make Christian films, but um, many Christians, when we were young, we were told not even to go to movies. Uh, Therefore, Hollywood didn't bother with Christian films because Christians were not their customers. And uh, Christianity lost America because we missed the audiovisual revolution. Uh, There were a few Billy Graham films and a few Moody Science films, but by and large, uh, we, we, to our own peril, we lost that. Now came in the 1980s the Internet Revolution, which is bigger than all the previous revolutions put together because the Internet is already the biggest research library, the biggest shopping mall, the biggest pornography and biggest entertainment and um, dating site, etc., etc. So it is a bigger revolution and uh, Christians have been very slow in getting onto it because um, for, for a number of reasons, our universities, it's only because of coronavirus that our universities have been shaken up. I took almost 10 years ago, I went to this international uh, Christian uh, high Association for Higher Education into their headquarters, argued with them. But only this morning I got a letter from them that now they have decided to encourage all Christian universities to go online. Uh, A few Christian universities have been using online education, but they have been trying to, seeing it as a cash cow that to make more money. Right. This means, this is a disease that Christianity has succumbed to education as priesthood of rich believers. Only those who uh, can afford getting into a debt of $50,000 can go to a Christian university in America. So it has become a priesthood of rich believers. But uh, with Martin Luther, uh, the whole idea of higher education and the basic education, children's education, was priesthood of all believers, that God wants all believers, rich or poor, to know the truth, to know God, uh, to know the world in which which they are supposed to establish their dominion. So uh, what our revolution is struggling with is to uh, not get trapped in this mentality of using um, e-learning or online learning as a priesthood of rich believers which makes money for Christian universities. But to disciple whole nations, every church, uh, 100,000 churches in America, should welcome 15 students under one academic pastor. That will be 1.5 million students if 100,000 churches have one academic pastor each, like youth pastor, and uh, they have 15 students each. When they have second year, Uh, another 15 students, two academic pastors, American church would be discipling 3 million students a year, every day. These students will be in the church. And in a four-year program, bachelor's program, uh, 
some of the practicals will need to be done in the labs, not in churches, but the theories will need to be can be done in churches or in homes you know, under the supervision of elders and pastors uh, in the church. So uh, you will have priesthood of all believers in a country such as Uganda or Nigeria uh, or India. We will need to use educational satellite uh, to transmit the curriculum. Um, but so, so this is a revolution in that uh, the, the mandate to disciple whole nation is uh, recovered by the church and goes out and is educating people not to make money. They will make money. Nations will become very rich uh, who allow every person's potential to blossom uh, by, through education. So the churches will make a lot of money, but they will educate to uh, build up individuals whether or not they have money. Hmm. So what's it going to take for the church to move in this education revolution direction? Well, you are playing a very important role in recording this podcast. Um, I'm saying to them that because every Christian university is having financial trouble. And I'm saying to them that instead of having brick and mortar classrooms with 5,000 or 10,000 students, if you take your content to every church, uh, you will have a million students, you know, 500,000 students taking your courses for which you don't have to hire teachers and you don't have to build buildings. You will make a lot more money by lowering your tuition fee to 5,000, maximum 10,000, uh, which the students will take loan. Taking a loan of $10,000 is much better than taking a loan of thirty dollars or $40,000. Yeah. Uh, Half of it will stay with the local church where the academic pastor gets paid. Half of it will go to the university where uh, the world's highest quality curriculum is being developed. And some of the money will be shared by the uh, technical people who are uh, uh, running this. So, yes, there has been a resistance from the Christian universities for the last 10 years in America. Uh, There were not too many universities such as Waldorf in Iowa that were open to exploring this, uh, but these mainstream bigger universities were close to it. But coronavirus has forced them, and the economic realities has forced them. Now we have problem with the theology in the church, that most of the pastors and theologians don't see uh, the church being responsible uh, for education. They don't understand discipleship as education. That to do baptize whole nations in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit means that nations that are immersed in false gods and goddesses and myths, they have to be immersed in the truth of God's word uh, in the formative years of their lives. This is what Martin Luther is arguing in 1520 in his book which is, the he wrote three books in 1520. The first one was a letter to Christian nobility uh, in which he expounds the implication of priesthood of all believers uh, and expounds the Great Commission that, uh, that the Roman Catholic Church is not going to allow every believer to become a priest because of the distinction between priest and uh, clergy and laity. 
but the Bible requires every believer to become a priest and king. Therefore, every believer must be educated, and the prince uh, must make sure that every child in his state is educated. So by 1530, Martin Luther realized that the real problem in Germany was the parent. Uh, Right now, our problem in America is the American church, the theologian, the pastor. Uh, They don't see this as their responsibility. But in 1530, uh, when Luther saw that it's the parents who don't want their children to go to school, he was very angry and preached a great sermon on um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, that he was saying that we can't send our boys to school because they have to go and cut wood in the forest. Otherwise, how will we keep the village warm? We can't send our girls to school because girls have to cut grass. Otherwise, what will the cows eat? Uh, Or they have to make cheese or use the wool to make um, blankets or whatever. You concerned about what shall we eat? What shall we drink? How shall we stay warm? This is what pagans seek. You seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What does that mean? Luther says it means send your kids to school, keep them there for 12 years, 10 years. They must be grounded in the truth of God's word. If God's word, God's revelation is not the source of truth, you have to depend only on reason, uh, including on science, you will be deceived as we are being deceived right now um, um, by so-called scientists and experts who have who are destroying American economy and uh, global economies. So um, the, the, the tr- truth has to be grounded in the word of God, uh, which is what Jesus is saying, that Satan is out to deceive the nations. That phrase is mm-hmm. twice in Revelation 20. Church is sent out to disciple nations. And discipling nations is not just getting sinners to pray a sinner's prayer and sign in an application and understand what it means to be born again and have an assurance of salvation, etc. So we've reduced the whole meaning of what does it mean to disciple nations to individualism And we have a gospel of individual salvation of my soul going to heaven. We don't have a gospel of the kingdom of God having come into this earth to transform slaves, Satan's slaves, into God's sons. What sons do is that they sit on their father's throne uh, to manage his state, govern his kingdom. That is our responsibility. If America is becoming kingdom of Satan, it is because the American church has not been interested in making uh, making sure that God's will is done in America. The church has been interested in uh, tribulation and rapture, not in transformation of Mm. God's kingdom coming on this earth. So there are these major theological issues that have to be debated that is Jesus expecting us to make God's enemies his footstool today? Uh, or is he going to come back? And uh, eschatology is only one issue. A much more basic issue is epistemology. So right now, a part of my challenge is uh, to address 
the theological corruption in American Christianity that prevent churches from obeying the command to disciple USA. Because a lot of the teaching, missionary teaching that has come into America for the last 30, 40 years has actually since Lausanne, 1974, uh, a dominant missionary teaching has been that Jesus will come back as soon as the last unreached people group has heard the gospel story. So don't bother discipling America. Let the devil run our courts and our press and our universities and Wall Street. We go out to save souls and tell the gospel story to the last unreached people group. And then Jesus will come back and he will rule on this earth unless he prefers to take us to heaven. He he might rule on this earth at least for a thousand years. And then we will have utopia. Then we will have kingdom of God because kingdom of God cannot come without the king being here. Well, when he said, I'm knocking at the door, you open the heart and I will come. You open the door and I will come in. Did he come in? Is Jesus here with you in you now? Yes, he says, I'm the body of Christ. Well, are you the useless body of Christ that he cannot govern this earth by sitting on the throne of your heart, that he has to come and sit in the third temple in Jerusalem before he can reform America. Didn't reformation, the unleashing of the gospel, reform Europe? Didn't the great awakenings, the first and second great awakenings, transform America? Uh, Is the body of Christ on earth a useless body of Christ, or is this the body through which Jesus wants God's will to be done on earth today? So these are major theological issues, uh, but even bigger than some of these issues is the question of epistemology that I'm avoiding so far. Uh, But these are major philosophical issues. Why Christianity has lost America and how a, a new awakening in America will in fact disciple United States of America, make it once again a city on a hill, a light to the nations, hope for the nations. Now, if most pastors are are not seeing education as a responsibility of the church, that seems like a, a pretty large barrier to get to before we can even get the you know the the church on board with this education revolution. So, what are some like tangible things that you guys are doing to shift mindset in church leadership? Well, our big ally is the homeschooling movement. That's one of the finest things that's happening in America right now. And homeschooling, when you have kids who are in ninth, tenth, eleven, twelve grades, they know that they can take with some extra effort college credits very cheaply which would mean that they will not have a big debt at the end when they graduate. So, uh, and many of these homeschooling parents are Christians, and uh, they are very open to the idea that uh, their young people, two, three times a week for three hours at a time, they go to the local church under supervision of an academic pastor and some uh, educated homeschooling parents who are sitting there, uh, that they can begin to help their young people get university credits. So from within the church, uh, 
we do have uh, a powerful lobby that is beginning to see the potential. But there are many other factors. One is just the plain fact that helped start of the Virtues Campus that this Missouri Synod of the Evangelical Lutherans, uh, 10, 15 years earlier, 20 years ago, they were confirming about 120,000 young people every year. So a child is baptized as an infant, but uh, by the time he's 13, 14, 15 years old, he is confirmed. Uh, this was 120,000 or so young people were being confirmed every year, 20 years ago. But by 19, 2014, when we started Virtues Campus, the number had come down to 60, 70,000 a year. So the church was losing 50% of its own young people. Mm. Uh, particularly when the young people were going to college, they stopped uh, going to church. So uh, just to keep their own young people into the church. And now you have grandparents who are complaining that I have three grandsons. Each one of them is living with his girlfriend without getting married. Well, who destroyed the American understanding of the sanctity and sacredness of sex in marriage? It is the college. It is the university. And so why are you not... Uh, educating the young people yourself in the, in the college. And why aren't you demanding that the Christian universities uh, stop pleasing the secular worldview and secular counterparts and become more biblical in their uh, uh, teaching of truth? So uh, there are these practical pressures which the uh, pastors and Christians are facing, even if they have the old mindset that Jesus is coming back in five years when the last unreached people group has been reached. So even if they have that mindset, uh, eschatological mindset, uh, they are confronting this practical reality that they are losing their own young people. They may not be bothered about the nation because uh, even American politicians are not bothered about nation. You had, in, in the primaries were going on, you had 10 or so um, people who want to become president of America who don't believe in national borders, and that these borders should be open and illegals should be able to come in. Because this is what the universities have done. Uh, <clears throat> they have not given to the leaders an understanding of what national, international border means, etc. So there is no understanding of what is marriage, what is a nation, what is justice, etc., etc. But we can't touch all of that in this podcast. The point right now is what would bring uh, the churches uh, into this program? When we started in Minnesota in 2014, there were 89 churches within the Twin Cities downtown area, a city area of St. Paul, Minnesota, that were either empty, they'd stopped worship services, or they were having four or five worshipers once a month because one pastor will go to four different churches in four weeks to conduct a service <clears throat> or more. And I was saying that, look, we can fill each of these churches with young people, uh, the Somalis and others, who the, the downtown people, because as the white Christians moved out to suburbs, 
they built their own bigger churches in suburbs. <clears throat> and the poorer people moved into uh, these uh, heart of the cities. And the church was not meeting their need. But if the church had an academic pastor, students were paying only $10,000 a year, which they took as loans, and went to the local church. So 15 students paying $10,000 is $150,000, the church will have $75,000 a year, which will be paid to the academic pastor, and logistic assistance, etc. The other $75,000 will go uh, to the university and labs, etc., teachers. So the, every church can be filled every day. And this, this appeals to some people intellectually at least, uh, they said, yes, this makes a lot of sense that we should be using these churches to uh, disciple uh, young people who have nothing to do with the church and we are giving up our cities. So in fact, the, the, those areas of Minnesota are now electing <coughs> Muslim um, senators, congressmen, women, um, because the Christians just abandoned the uh, downtown, as far as residential areas are concerned, they are still there in offices. Uh, so there are these practical issues that the churches don't have money to pay for utilities and repairs. Well, nor do the universities have, Christian universities have enough money to pay for the utilities and repairs. So when they say that the major university is in $20 million debt, the real debt is really $40, $50 million because the university has not been putting money into repairs because it doesn't have cash flow. And here is a solution both for Christian universities and for the churches to use their facilities um, five days a week, then we can use it for the church, and generate the revenue to pay well to the leaders and the staff in the church and as well as in the Christian universities. So there are these practical reasons why uh, churches should get into this, but, the, but it will not, I don't want them to see this as a cash cow. I want them to see this as a mandate, go and disciple nations, make God's enemies his footstool. Uh, because what this is about is about a new great awakening of biblical Christianity, God's light, transforming America and making America a light to the nations. Now, how does how does this online education revolution idea play out maybe in a non-developed world where access is either restricted or sometimes limited? Well, when we first started the first center in Indonesia in 2010, October 9th, or was it 10th? I was there, <clears throat> and our team had to put up a 50-meter high antenna to catch the signal, the, <laughs> the, the internet signal, because um, the internet was much worse 10 years ago than it is now. Yeah. Uh, they struggled with it. Thankfully, the government at that time authorized two uni Christian universities to give online bachelor's degree in education because the, there were 3,000 plus Christian 
high schools, primary schools and high schools, mostly serving poor, and poor students cannot pay. Therefore, they did not uh, have qualified teachers. A teacher who has already got a bachelor's degree would rather work in a wealthy school in a city and get good salary. Uh, but the teachers who are not qualified, they were teaching in these primary schools and government had re realized that uh, even teachers in primary school have to have graduate degrees. But how does a man who has a wife and children is living in a village, how does he leave his family behind and go to a city w to join a edu college of education to get a bachelor's degree? He can't. So we said they agreed that they will let us bring uh, college education. And once the program got going, <clears throat> the government changed its mind and said, well, why should these Christian universities suddenly get a thousand students? We want their fee. So only the government university is allowed to give online degree. So this was a problem <clears throat> with um, uh, with Indonesia. There were other problems as well. So there have been struggle. But uh, things are changing uh, right now in a country such as Uganda. We have the best situation where the first lady, who is a believer, is in fact the minister of education. And uh, she, uh, we have direct access to her. And uh, the whole National Council of Higher Education has agreed that if we are going to take best education to the remotest village, uh, government cannot afford to build schools and send teachers everywhere. And the churches don't have money to build uh, school buildings. Um, so th therefore, we've got to use existing buildings, even if they are just mud huts with thatched roof. And they already people already have cell phones, uh, mobile phones, and we should be able to send curriculum uh, on to them. And very cheap iPads can be uh, or laptops can be created. Uh, initially, some of these may have to be preloaded with education curriculum, uh, but uh, it will be much cheaper to have an educational satellite uh, broadcasting to the whole nation uh, a curriculum because English is, there are four or five major dialects in, in, in Uganda, but English is usually the language of education so, because it was a British, uh, not colony, but dependency for 100 years or so. So there are nations like that. And uh, the, the first problem was the church. The second problem was the university. Third problem was the government. But in Uganda, all of this has come together. And that's now beginning to happen in Nigeria, in uh, Kenya, etc. So uh, we still have challenges in India, but our technical team is in India. And at least one mission in India, uh, which is South Indian mission in North India, has agreed that from 2022, they will take this program of taking uh, a bachelor's degree, university degree, uh, offering it through their missionaries. So they have 3,000 missionaries. So, yes, we have uh, a major concern, of course, is finance, because all of us working in this are um, volunteers. None of us is being paid anything.
uh, this is uh, uh, obedience to the mission, co- commission, great commission to disciple nation. Now, do you see this education revolution as as maybe taking off um, through another nation or other than the United States potentially? Well, yes, I think um, it, at at the moment it appears that Uganda would be the uh, best uh, model, but I, th- I think America is ready and. Uh, uh, I, I think within a year we would see a dramatic change in America. It has taken only uh, two months of COVID uh, to uh, break down this idea of a thousand-year-old idea that education means brick and mortar classrooms. So that has been shattered. Getting the church to see uh, uh, their need, uh, these the exact proposal right now is that let's take a high school student who is being homeschooled. He wants to take some college credit. So the first course that he or she takes is going through the whole Bible. And a Christian university gives him her credit for going through the whole Bible. A church should have no problem. The church should really welcome because any pastor can... uh, uh, mentor a student who is reading through the whole Bible. So they read it at home, they come to church, and the pastor is given lessons. Uh, he makes sure that students have actually studied. But this is reading the Bible worldviewishly, not devotionally, because a major problem of American Christianity is a program which InterVarsity had promoted called Search the Scriptures, where it teaches people to meditate on the Bible every day, but meditate on passages here and there. You read Galatians in the morning, Lamentations in the evening. And if you read the Bible that way, you never develop a biblical worldview. So average American Christian does not even understand what the phrase biblical worldview means. And this is a result of the kind of devotional life that major movements such as InterVarsity have promoted in America. So we need students to now go through the Bible worldviewishly to allow, so at least they understand the Bible's worldview, even if they don't understand, even if they don't accept it or agree with it. But they need to understand what the biblical worldview is so that they can compare and it with other non-Christian worldviews. So that's a first course. The second course is the Bible's impact on world history. So if we have a course on world worldview and world histories, what are the great ideas that have created the modern world? Why is America a nation, not an empire? Why does America have a president and not a king, not an emperor? Why does the Constitution say, we the people? Where did these ideas come from that all men are created equal? Most schools don't even believe that human beings are created. We evolved. So did we evolve equal? These are worldview assumptions that all people are created equal. Everyone is endowed with certain inalienable rights right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Did evolution ever tell mosquitoes and viruses not to kill human beings? Who endowed everyone with inalienable rights? 
what are these worldviews that created nations such as the United States of America? We want students to go through the Bible, but go through the great ideas that have shaped history. Um, if the attempts, American attempts to create democracies in uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, if they have failed, why did they fail? Why did French Revolution fail? So uh, a second course on Western civilization, because there's so much nonsense coming from American universities, which deceived American administration. So best educated leaders in Bush administration didn't know what democracy is. And they thought if you have a constitution, if you have free and fair election in I Iraq, you will get democracy, you will get freedom. What they gave to Iraq was Islamic State and terrorism. So how did the White House under a born-again president uh, get so wrong? This is because they were being deceived by American universities. And that's why if we have a curriculum in the church, which is a curriculum of Western civilization, but it is looking at the worldviews and world history. And in that context, you look at the creation of the United States, Europe, and other nations, African nations, Asian nations, South American nations. Uh, then we will create a, uh, a course which should appeal to the church that, okay, he, here is some basic teaching on citizenship, good citizenship, uh, that is uh, that our young people need to need, know, uh, for them to even cultivate their faith in, uh, in the Bible, in the church. So what is the role of the church? What has been the role of the church in building of modern America? So my point is that... <clears throat> Uh, we, we can begin with some courses that the church elders will see are uh, good for America, good for the world, good for the church. And these are the truths that American students need to learn. And the schools and colleges are teaching the falsehood. Now, how could the most resourceful media in the world, the best educated journalist in the world, become fake news. What has happened to the culture, the post-truth culture? How do we reestablish the Declaration of Independence says that we're building America on truths? Is there anything called truth? University doesn't believe that every high school student graduate knows that nobody knows the truth. These are our stories. So is the Declaration of Independence a story that we hold this story to be our true story that all men have evolved equal and have been endowed by evolution with certain inalienable rights? These are issues which, if there is going to be a new great awakening which strengthens the foundations of civility and truth, and justice and righteousness in America, then the church has to take education back. Christian university has to stop being afraid uh, and bullied by secular universities, which are teaching mythology.
Wow, Vishal, this is this is incredible stuff. Um, thank you so much for for being on the show. I want to be respectful of our audience's time, and um, so appreciate your time and and thoughts and insights and expertise. Uh, can I pray for you and your ministry? Yes, please pray. The <clears throat> organization which is spearheading this aspect of our ministry in America is called Virtues Campus. It's incorporated in Minnesota, led by Reverend David Glesney. Uh, uh, the my uh, overall international ministry is called Revelation Movement, and it now has a European branch. Uh, so do pray for these two movements. The groups in Uganda, etc., have their own name, an international fellowship that is going to be incorporated in South Korea is called Kingdom Education Fellowship, which will really spearhead uh, this work globally, uh, education, Kingdom Education Fellowship. I don't don't control any of these. Um, The Lord is, because this has to become a movement which Mm -hmm. wants to raise up people to run these. So none of these have any funding, uh, but the Lord is raising up people just like he brought you to um, do this podcast. So people can connect with me through my Facebook, Vishal Mangalwadi, or through uh, revelationmovement.com. But American audience should also check out virtuescampus.com, virtuescampus.com. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah, and I will I will link to all of those in the show notes. But yeah. let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you so much for Vishal and um, the things that he is doing, the ideas that he's shared. Father, I I, I lift up uh, his leadership over um, his ministry and the ministries that he's in contact and and working with. Uh, we just pray for uh, education revolution here and globally. Father, we thank you so much for um, Vishal and his. Uh, willingness to uh, use his gifts and talents for the kingdom and to be obedient to your call. And uh, I just lift up Trinity Global Education and Virtuous Campus, Kingdom Education Fellowship, Revelation Movement, and pray that you would just bless these uh, these movements and these ministries uh, for your glory and for your, uh, for your name's sake. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Vishal, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we're excited to to watch what happens with all this stuff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.